to another edition of the Unicorns Podcast. This is a podcast series featuring business leaders, motivators, innovators, and general go-getters. Steve Barnett is the co-founder and CEO of a new company called Grease Boss. It's a Queensland-based startup business, which has been accepted into the very prestigious Y Combinator Accelerator Program in the United States. And I'm very pleased to say that Steve joins us on the Unicorns today. G'day, Steve. Welcome to the show. G'day, Justin. Thanks for having me. I've got to say, let's let, let's let's get into the name. When I first heard Grease Boss, I thought that has to be one of the best <laughs> names of a business that I've heard in the last like ten years. How did how did the <laughs> how did the name come about, Grease Boss? It um it came about really early on in our journey um at the at the hackathon. So we formed um, at a hackathon held at Arc Incubator Space in in the Valley in Brisbane. Yep. And um, that's where I met my co-founders. Okay. Let's, let's give them a plug. Yeah, Tim and uh, Pete. Yep. Um, yeah. And anyway, early on, I think the hackathon, the way it works is, you know, you pitch the idea on a Friday night and then you spend the rest of the weekend building it and you present it in a Shark Tank style event Mm -hmm. on a Sunday night Mm -hmm. and I think it was on Saturday morning we were sitting around in the circle and um, the team we had a number of others uh, you know with us join the team uh, for the hackathon event and um, one of the guys threw out the name Grease Boss and we just immediately latched onto it yeah Um, you know and and it stuck Uh, you know our logo hasn't really changed that much since then Um, and you know there's a lot of talk about a number of other complementary products, right? With Boss at the end, yeah, because it just it just works. Yeah, well, I mean, it's very it's very catchy. So, so what year what year was that? The hackathon. How did it all? How did the business start? How did you all get started? Yeah, so uh, it was in October 2019. Mm-hmm. Um, it was literally uh, my wife just encouraged me to go to this hackathon, and I'd I'd done a few in the past. Okay. Um, and I'd I'd been out and about looking for co-founders. I I just all I wanted to do was to win a hackathon. Um, <laughs> you wanted to hack the hackathon. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So I'd done a few, or like I tried a few experiments. One time I bought some people, some old friends from Sydney, and we went to a Brisbane hackathon. And then another time, um, I you know I went by myself alone and met randoms there. Um, but th- yeah, this was the fourth one. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Um, I'd had the idea for a grease gun that can track greasing um, for a couple of years, but I didn't have the skills to execute it. Yeah. So, um, you know, on the off chance I went to the hackathon, I went there and I presented the idea and uh, that, that's where it came from. That's where the team formed. Um, it, then, it, then di- it then spent a few months um, digesting amongst ourselves. Is this viable? Is this a real business? Yeah. Um, then some people saw the video online and started calling us and said, do you have a product? Um, so, you know, probably midway through 2020, we decided to form a business around it and, um, and, you know, it's been and get, you know, and get started. a crazy journey since then. So, yeah. so when you were, when you, when you met your co-founders and you were at the hackathon, presumably you, you had other employment, you had a full-time job. This was just like a bit of a. A side hustle. This was just a side a side hustle. Yeah. yeah, I just genuinely like genuinely like um, 
learning how things work and and where things come from. And I thought I was I thought that the you know the community that attends the hackathons they were really interesting people. So you know I just wanted to hang out there on the weekends, <laughs> and I did. And and presumably because of the specialist nature of what 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 it is you've you've eventually created you you've had some sort of background in the industry to know that there was a problem that needed solving yeah so i worked for a um, multinational equipment supplier um i had a number of different roles Mm -hmm. but probably my favorite role was when um i was effectively a traveling salesman okay and i got to travel all around uh the back blocks of new south wales and queensland and victoria and meet you know all the great people that work out there uh, on the mines and see what they experience every day. Mm. Um, and this greasing issue kept coming up fairly often, um, you know, and a mine site is a very controlled environment. Yeah. You know, these are people that put little plastic things on their wheel nuts to make sure that they they can see if, if the nut has turned, you know, and <laughs> I, I was, sh- I was shocked that, something like greasing that is actually consequential to the profitability of the mine, no one uh, was controlling it. Okay. So that's kind of where it started. I, I drew a straight line between all of the safety and risk management controls uh, to this particular thing that I was seeing fairly frequently as a failure mode. So break it down for us. What what does Grease Boss do? Yeah, okay. So uh, we've developed an attachment. Uh, for a grease gun, it's a hardware device. Okay. Uh, and then we've developed a cloud platform that backs it up. Uh, and the purpose of the hardware device is, uh, firstly, to be as invisible as possible to the person doing the greasing. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't want to add any extra steps or, you know, make them have to do any additional work to use Grease Boss. We just want them to go out and do their greasing rounds as they would any other day with any other grease gun. Um, but the real advantage of using Grease Boss is that uh, as they do their daily rounds, it will track how much grease is pumped, when it's pumped, uh, if any greasing points are missed in the schedule. And if they miss them, it'll send them an alert so that they can go back and rectify that. Okay. Uh, and this is you know, recorded in the cloud uh, so that there's a record um, in case you know, that grease point breaks down for whatever reason. The people who are responsible can go back, look it up and check that the work was done or check that it wasn't done and then find a reason for the failure. So why is, the, to, to a layman like me, why is greasing in the mining industry so important? Um, yeah, that's a good question. Um, it's disruption to their production. So, you know, one of our early customers, it costs them $2 million per hour for downtime and they're dependent on a couple of conveyors to pull their product um, out of the pit. Uh, if those conveyors break down, you know, everyone on site is standing around doing nothing. Right. Okay. Uh, and and it could it could be just missing one greasing that causes that. So, you know, greasing is one of these things that's, you know, a low, um, like kind of a, it's not on people's radar. Uh, task, but it's a high. It has a high consequence. Yeah, uh, I, if you don't do it. Yeah, and I, I imagine the you know the bean counters looking at the P and L would would definitely notice if um, there is a large chunk of um, activity that's just idle, just not happening, and it's because of a you know a, a small issue like greasing. But as you say, it has huge flow on effects. Yeah, exactly. Well, 
We've got another usage case um, that we're talking with the customer about right now, and this one was pretty funny. Mm -hmm. Um, So imagine, you know, the back of a Woolworth supermarket, they've got their trucks coming and going, delivering the food, Mm -hmm. and uh, the tailgate lift on the back of the truck won't open. Um, We heard of an exact case where uh, a truck was delivering a load of prawns and seafood Uh in summer. Yeah. Uh-oh. <laughs> and the tailgate didn't open and um and 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 this the cargo spoiled uh, and it was all related to greasing so you know there, there's grit it turns out there's grease points all across the economy <laughs> it's like the fundamental <laughs> bottom of the economy yeah. but um they're there and they keep everything going so was it was it somewhat like you, you you talked about driving around to mine sites in your previous job? Was it someone who, or did you did you notice there were people standing around because there was something out of action, or did one of the technicians talk about the problem? Like, how did you first think you know th- this could actually be an issue? Yeah, so it uh, there was a safety incident actually. Uh, we were uh, commissioning some equipment. And all of a sudden, there was a loud bang behind us. And it turned out that uh, the tail pulley on a particular conveyor had uh, collapsed mm. and uh, broken free of the conveyor. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, at high speed, the conveyor was operating. Um, so that becomes a reportable safety incident. When uh, we went and had a look to see what happened, and, you know, there were other guys working around in this area. So, you know, had they have been in the line of fire, someone could have got seriously injured. Um, all work was stopped. Uh, we went over and had a look because we were in the vicinity and uh, the bearing didn't have any grease on it. Um, they radioed the guy who was responsible for the greasing. Yeah. And he said on the radio, I greased it. Um, the person in charge of the mine had the bearing in his hand and it was dry. And, um, you know, that, that, that's what got my creative juices thinking. Mm. There must be a better way. You know, it's an interesting point because if you do go to a mine site that, you know, no matter where it is in Australia, the, the, the operators are generally fastidious and to the, to the point of, you know, crazy about safety. Every, you know, every single point is checked, double checked. Um, but it would, it would appear in this case, this, this is something that, you know, no one really thought about. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in Australia, we've got the best processes and systems yeah. for managing safety no and doubt. risk in the world. No and and it's, it's, in, it's incredible. It's, this is just one of those things that I don't think uh, the technology has been there for. Um, I also don't think that, you know, people who have the means and have the team um, around them to fix it, go and see this, this this issue. So, you know, I I feel extremely lucky to have uh, found the problem and found a team that could solve it at the right time. Um, I know, you know, there's a number of other problems out there uh, that, that that can be fixed using IoT. So, mm. you know, we're excited because, you know, we see Greaseboss as our starting point. Okay. Um, so you mentioned you mentioned um, I think it was the hackathon and then. You sort of sat on the idea into 2020, and then you started getting inquiries from punters saying, "Well, you know, do do you have a product? What was that like? That must that must have been pretty exciting for you guys. With you know, conceptually, you've come up with something, but you don't 
really have anything to to back it up, but then you've got interest from from you know potentially live customers. Yeah, well, that's correct. So um, we got an inquiry uh, based off our our effectively our pitch deck. Yep. And um, that particular engineering company is Cormatic, uh, based out of Brisbane. They've you know been very good supporters of ours. Uh, Jonathan, you know, wrote us a PO the next day. And, uh, you know, we didn't, we, we weren't ready. We didn't have a product. We just had a con, a concept. Yeah, exactly. And we tried to tell him that, but, um, he, you know, he said, no worries. I'll go out and I'll get it out there. Uh, and then he, he took it out and put it on a, a farm, uh, in Bundaberg and he put it at a big industrial f- facility in Newcastle. Um, took us about three months to build um, yeah. the units. Uh, unfortunately, they only lasted about two weeks or one week. Why was, why was build that? Quality. Oh, right. Just, yeah. Ha- hardware is hard, mm. I think, is mm. uh, the famous saying. Mm. Um, you know, if you have a software product, you can iterate it, you can change it remotely. But, you know, with hardware, once it ships out the door, that's it. You've got to hope that it's going to work. Uh, and if it doesn't, you've got to be ready to fix it. So, uh, you know, that's what I mean. It's been a wild ride, uh, some of these things. But, um, you know, we've really enjoyed the support of our customers. They've, they've liked it. They see the vision and yep. they've been patient with some of those early on um, uh, forays into the market that we have. So those inquiries um, into the, you know, burgeoning business would have come during COVID. So... How how did uh, COVID sort of upset the apple cart for you guys? Because like the whole world's economy just sort of put the brakes on and stopped, and you've got a you've got yeah. a, you've got a startup business potentially with unlimited potential, but you know nothing is happening. How give us give us an insight of how that affected you guys? Yeah, um, again, COVID is a blessing and a curse, I think, for a lot of a lot of people. Uh, early on um, in COVID. Tim, my, you know, our, our other co-founder, he said, oh, I think COVID's going to be around for a while. So let's take a look at our design and our plan and let's try and design our business so that, you know, we don't have to go anywhere. And, um, you know, that was, you know, the opposite of what I was used to in the mining industry. You know, my rule when dealing with mining clients is, if you turn up, you've done eighty percent of the work, um, and I, I, I'm I'm the guy who's like I had no problem jumping on a plane or getting in my car and driving six hours somewhere. Mm. Like I just, you know, wanted to get out there, and COVID put an end to all yes. of that. So yeah. we've had the ability to design our business, our process, our product. You know, anticipating that we don't have to leave Queensland. Um, you know, which is not not a terrible yeah, position. Yeah, not <laughs> um, nice place to be. Yeah, and um, the other thing was the lockdowns really helped us to focus and build our product. Right, we had this order for the three units uh, from Cormatic, and you know we had all this time, so we we did our design. It was Zoom meetings on the back deck um, when there were when they, you know, reopened and then shut down for those few weeks, we, um, you know, we're in the car to each other's houses, um, picking up stuff from suppliers. Right. So, so it, you know, it actually gave you the, the breathing space you needed to perfect the product. Yeah, exactly. It accelerated a lot of things. And, you know, like 
there's always when you have a disaster like that there's always a lot of growth so i i suspect there's probably a lot of startups out there that are just under the radar at the moment um that have been born in COVID. Mm. i think we'll get a, a whole bunch of them come through the system and so how many are working in the business you mentioned a couple of other co-founders is, is it just the three or have you got you've got a bigger team uh, we've got a bigger team now um and that was enabled by the y combinator investment yes but um yeah, so there's Tim, who's uh, COO, and he uh, manages uh, the customers and the uh, manufacturing. We've got Pete, who's our CTO. He does our uh, product design, uh, our electronics and our coding. And then we've got uh, Jack as an industrial designer, Will, our user experience designer, and Mitchell, our uh, full stack developer. And then there's a couple of other uh, people um, yeah. as advisors around us. So we've got a, a full-ish complement. I mean, we're looking, we're looking to grow. Um, now, I'm, I'm keen to find out about Y Combinator and how that came about. And I know, I know it started. Um, I'm interested to know what that experience has been like trying to do it remotely, given that um, tra- traveling to San Francisco is clearly off the cards at the moment. Yeah. Um, no, that's a, that's a great that's a great question. So, Y Combinator came about uh, when one of one of our advisors, uh, Yodam, he's an YC alumni, mm-hmm. um, and uh, he he's associated with seventy seven partners, and they were our second external investor. Um, so we closed off their investment, and then we were talking about strategy, and Yodam said, "Y Combinator's opening. You guys should try." And in our minds, we talked it down. We said, you know, it's less than 0.1% chance that we're going to get in there. Mm -hmm. Not because the competition is massive, but, you know, we're an industrial company. We're, you know, from the back blocks of Queensland. Uh, These guys do things like Airbnb, Uber and and, yeah, everything. Yeah. We're just the odd guys out. (laughs) Um, Might have helped. You know, yeah, the, the application was only... You know, two pages long. It took took us a couple of hours, yeah. And then we just put it in, and we forgot about it. <laughs> yeah. And and, <laughs> and, and, and then how, they gave yeah. us a call. What'd they say, uh, now Grease Boss. Um, yeah, we're interested. Yeah, they well, they they literally did. So uh, their process is, you know, two page application, ten minute interview with their alumni, mm. and they put four of their alumni on the panel. So. Uh, we did a little, when we heard we had the interview, we did some coaching about how to describe the business and, you know, the right words and concepts to use. And, um, there was a couple of other Aussies who were interviewing, um, that, you know, we found out who they were and we did mock interviews with each other, that type of thing. And then, um, was it on on camera or zoom or like, or, you know, just on the phone? No, on Zoom. Yeah, okay. So there was no hiding, like you, you know, you you're you're up in lights, so to speak. We're up in lights, exactly. Again, on the on the back deck, in the backyard, <laughs> yeah, yeah. in the view. With the, That's the, the irony. Cicadas right? and the yeah. cockies. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And and so yeah, so you got you got accepted in, and then so so what does what does that mean? Yeah, so uh, it's a three month program. Mm-hmm. Um, the purpose of it is to position the startup in the most 
favorable way to raise a seed round. Okay. Um, yep. So they everything in YC is about demo day. And, um, I mean, this is being recorded in early March. Uh, demo day is in on the 20th of March, mm-hmm. so it's three weeks away mm-hmm. for us. Yep. Um, the program runs for 12 weeks. And in the 12-week lead up to demo day, it's all about getting the business ready. So Making an investment product, ready. Yeah, making an investment ready yep. for, a, for, for our seed round. So, uh, fi- firstly, it's, you know, the shock, oh, you're in. And then you look at the other uh, – People in the cohort, and you think I'm not worthy. Yeah, like, you know, like on Wayne's World type thing. I'm not worthy. Um, and then, and then, once you overcome that, it's all about, you know, developing your value proposition, finding your product market fit. You know, getting those early customers on board, uh, and then, you know, telling the story in a way that uh, will connect with the investors. So um, we're now going solidly into uh, fundraising mode and, you know, we've picked up uh, five or six additional customers through our duration. Good. Um, and we're very grateful to them um, and, they, you know, they've been very helpful. Uh, and, you know, we're very excited about the future. So what what, what are... What are the sort of what are some of some of the uh, the things that you have learnt in the program to to make your business investment ready? Uh, yeah, that's a that's a good question. So I, I did an MBA. I uh, went to a business school in Sydney, mm-hmm. and um, I've had to unlearn a bunch of that stuff. Yeah. Um, it was good. It was good at the time yeah. when I was in a corporate context, but in this space, you know, the maths is weird. <laughs> the um some of the concepts they you know they're not they they just don't translate um so i've learned how uh silicon valley and you know software as a service platform type companies are valued mm-hmm. um and how uh investors look at that and how they calculate trajectories yes. and that type of thing but I never, I never learned that in business no. school. I just learned how to do a discounted cash flow on revenue. But yeah. when you're pre-revenue and you're just an idea and a pitch deck, right, it doesn't work. But, you, I mean, you've still got value. So I learned, you know, what are the nuances and where, where what do you look for when you're valuing um, an early stage idea? Um, and what, I mean, what do they look for? Give us, give us a sense of... Um, your your understanding of what savvy investors at that that seed round are keen on seeing. Um, it's well, it's it's all about traje- trajectory. So you want to in the three months you want to acquire as many customers as you can, and then you want to um, get them on some type of contracted basis, recurring contracted <laughs> yes. basis. Yep. Yep. Right, and that's that's going to be an indication of. Um, your profitability and an indication of uh, what the market norms are. Um, so you take that, and that's go- I, I imagine like you know that that video game Tanks where you yes. uh, and I play it with my daughter on my yeah. iPhone all the time. That's like you position your cannon, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then and then you go and you really look hard at the total addressable market. Um, they call it the TAM, mm. and the TAM is really the size of your bullet. Yeah. <laughs> and so so the bigger your bullet, 
and the better your ability to hit it, to hit the target, um, you can you can pick up a lot of that stuff just within three months of, of operating the company. And have, have you um, have you done a, a, a sort of a back of the envelope uh, calculation on the size of the addressable market that that Grease Boss can slot into globally? Yeah, I have. Pro- yeah. <laughs> um, so we're measuring our success on how many grease points we have in the system. Mm. Um, so I did, yeah, exactly that, a back of the napkin calculation. I use the mining industry and agriculture and defence and all these kind of verticals that we're relevant for. Yep. And I figured out that there's about 600,000 grease points in Queensland that we could have. And then in Australia, there's maybe 5 million. Mm. And then in the world that are applicable for grease points. So this is not all grease, po- grease points because yep. some are not. This is just what's applicable for grease points. In the world, it's a bit north of 250 million okay. uh, individual points that we could fit a tag to and we would give our customers some level of value. So um, I'm probably the only guy who's ever thought of that. <laughs> <laughs> grease um, points, yeah. Well, they're actually called grease nipples. So um, our funny little metric that we talk about. That's an, entire, that's an entirely different podcast, Steve. Exactly. <laughs> well, our, our, again, our favorite metric is nipples under management. Numb. So, uh, and it gets us a lot of attention when I say it, and I'm always smirking. Oh, that is the funniest thing I've heard all day. So what about competitors? Do you have any? I imagine if this is like a unique point, um, I mean, I don't know. You tell me. Anyone, anyone out there trying to copy you, or you know, do you have sort of? Are there similar products in the market that are trying to do the same sort of thing? Uh, yes and no. Um, so you know, there's a whole category of products called auto lubricators. Mm-hmm. Um, they've been around for about twenty or thirty years. Yes. Uh, a lot of people would see them as our competitors. Uh, we don't see them as our competitors because we intentionally targeted the grease points that you cannot fit an auto lubricator to rather than auto lubricators. Yeah. But that, that is a thing. Um, and then, you know, we, we've taken out patents on this and done literature reviews. So, you know, it is implied in the literature that there are others working on a similar um similar problem mm. uh but there's nothing in the market right now so you know that's a good thing. our strategy is be first to market learn make it an incredible user experience uh you know by going public you know on shows like this you know we expect there'll be people to follow us the um so are you are all of your customers at the moment in australia or do you have some overseas no so our second customer was in south africa which was really incredible. Yeah. Yeah. How did they so, find you know, out about you? I, it was a, there was a connection in the network. Okay. Uh, we, we, we posted some pics from our early trials and then um, he was like a second degree connection. He saw it and he said, I want one. This guy manages a, a lubrication business. He's got, you know, something like he manages 20,000 grease points and he, physically has people that go out and see 5,000 a day. Um, he's managing them for Coca-Cola and Mercedes-Benz and one of the big mining companies in South Africa. So, you know, um, he knows grease points and um, 
he thought it was worth his time. So, you know, we've just shipped our pilot trial to them and we'll start working with them. You know, the interesting thing about your business is that, I, you know, and I mean, I mean, no offense by this at all, but it's, it's not really sexy tech in the sense of you mentioned, <laughs> you mentioned Airbnb before and some of these other, you know, hot unicorn tech startups, right? This is, this is in an industry that probably not a lot of people are paying attention to, but that's where I think there's, you know, incredible upside for, for your business just to, um, you know, scoop up the market and all of a sudden, you know, you're looking at it, well, all things going going well, you know, a, a, a multi-million dollar business. Yeah, uh, unsexy is definitely the, the term um, <laughs> and that's how I describe it to investors. Yeah. I've got a couple of sexy applications that emerged from the woodwork. Yeah. Um, it turns out super yachts are covered in grease nipples um, for their drive system. Okay. Um, it turns out the theme park um, has got grease nipples all over the rides. Okay. Um, and, but the best one is the brewery. Now, okay, and, and, um, yes. Yeah, now we got, we got an inquiry okay. from a brewery and, you know, I had to – we had to, you know, draw straws to see who was going to take that one. <laughs> <laughs> that would require but, um, an on-site visit, I would think. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And maybe they don't need to pay in money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's it's unsexy. It's under the radar. And, um, again, we think the opportunity is exists this way for us because it's not a place that uh, many people with a tech background um, see. Because uh, usually the greasing happens behind closed doors, um, and you know we again we think maintenance, um, industrial, uh, improving industrial, um, uh, the cost of maintaining equipment is is right for um, disruption and 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 right for growth for us. So that, that's going to be our space. You know, and that, and that is a, that is a good place to be, under the radar, and you know just going going for it. Um, we, we might leave it there today, Steve. It's been uh, it's been fascinating talking to you. It's been uh, it's been unreal catching up with you and to find out everything that's happening with Grease Boss. I reckon this is certainly a business to watch in in the coming years, and we will track uh, your trajectory with much enthusiasm. Thank you so much for your time today on the Unicorns Podcast. Thanks, Justin. Thanks for having me.